Welcome to Point Me to Jesus. My name is Tara McCleary-Reeves, and I am joined by a new friend, Sonia Hunter. Sonia is a mother. She's a wife, a prayer warrior, author of the book, Unsurvivable. She is also the founder of Adam's Cape, a nonprofit organization that serves parents and their children in medical crises. Sonia, we welcome you to the show today. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I appreciate you doing this. Your book reads like a screenplay. It really does. Uh, It released during uh, the middle of a pandemic, and you are not the first author that I have interviewed that has actually released a book in the middle of a pandemic. So I know that that was a little bit challenging, but don't you think it was almost apropos that the Lord ordained that book uh, that talks about his faithfulness in the midst of tragedy during a time that, that so many families are experiencing loss and suffering? Yes, I, I truly do. You know, I've been working on this book for close to five years and I just kind of keep putting it away and coming back to it. And I believe it's because it wasn't the right timing last year was the right timing for this book to be completed because I truly believe it could help lots of people, not even just going through a tragedy like what I went through, the loss of a job or, you know, so many things people have suffered through this pandemic. I mean, my story could help too, to show them that, you know, God is real and he's on his throne and, and he's a loving God, no matter what we're going through. For our listeners and our viewers who don't know your story, Sonia, if it's okay, I would like to rewind. Uh, We are in 2021 now, and and this life-changing moment, it happened in 2006, and uh, I did read your book, and I'm just going to recall a few of the details, Um, but it was a beautiful, sunshiny day. Uh, Your husband, Chris, uh, had just been promoted in this new position that would enable you to, uh, to become a stay-at-home mom. You were working at a, um, a medical office as a transcriptionist. Yes. And before Chris uh, decided uh, to leave for uh, work, uh, he worked night shift to leave that night watching the boys, uh, Connor and Adam, that day while you were at work. And uh, y'all had planned to meet for a family lunch at a local Tex-Mex restaurant. And, and he had called you. Is that right, Sonia? He had called you about 45 minutes before you really started to panic. Yes. Yes. He actually was going, he had to go to the YMCA or local YMCA because he was coaching the Adams ball team and pick up ball uniforms. And then he was headed to come take us, take me to lunch, him and the boys. And yes, it was about 45 minutes that had passed before I had that horrible gut wrenching feeling something wasn't right. And, you know, it's funny that morning on my way to work as well, I had this horrible gut feeling that something was going to happen that day. And I just couldn't figure out what it was, but, you know, I just kept playing it off as, you know, I was kind of sad too, that I was leaving my job because I loved the people I worked with, but I knew in my heart that it was time to be at home with my boys as well. So, you know, I just kind of kept pushing that feeling aside thinking, oh, it's just, you know, jitters of leaving my work family and things like that. But you just never know what's around the corner. You truly don't. So after within 45 minutes, I guess Chris had called you to say that he and the boys were on the way. And and really, 
y'all's house was not far from your place of employment. So yeah. you were kind of expecting within the next 15 minutes, but all of us who are parents with young children know how, <laughs> how much time can pass between that initial plan and the reality of that yeah. plan. So yeah. you and in, in your mom's mind were giving him a little bit of cushion yes. and, uh, and uh, within 45 minutes is when you realize something was wrong and you frantically started calling family members. Can you take us back to, to that feeling of just complete and utter panic? You know, it's funny because, you know, my first phone call to Chris trying to see where he was at when he didn't answer, my heart just almost skipped a beat. And it's like at that moment, I knew something was wrong, which is funny because, you know, it wasn't unusual sometimes for him not to answer because he might've been on the phone or, you know, had his phone on silent or something like that. So I don't know why that first initial of not answering made me know something was wrong. And so then of course I just continued calling his phone with no answer. And then, so I started calling my dad's, um, I called my dad's house because he was on the way. And um, I also called his, Chris's brother because his house was also on the way too. And I just thought maybe something happened and they need to stop. And of course, nobody had seen him or heard from him. And at that moment, I knew, I knew something was wrong and that actually I needed to go drive the path and try to find him. And then at that moment, when I was about to leave work to go look for him was whenever I heard police officers asking for Sonia McDougal. And when I came around the corner and I saw one of the police officers, I actually graduated with him in high school. Um, but he didn't recognize my married name because I hadn't seen him in years. And when I came around the corner and he saw my face, I knew at that moment that I, I honestly thought my whole family was gone because I could just see it. It was the worst feeling and a feeling it's hard to even describe to somebody that you feel in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's, it's something I don't wish upon anybody. It's a horrible feeling, but he patiently sat me down and he explained to me that Chris had a car accident and he had told me that him and one of my sons was dead and that the other son was at the local hospital needing to be airlifted to Dallas, Texas, which was two hours from us. And at that moment, not even knowing which baby to pray for is devastating because I just thought, you know, who do I pray for? Which one of my babies is alive? Which one will I never see again? It's just, you know, it's hard enough losing a spouse, but you're not supposed to lose your kids. You know, you're, you have this reality that, oh, we're going to grow old and we're going to see our kids grow up and we're going to see our grandkids and you just don't expect that. And I was 29 years old. Never in my life would I dream that something like this was going to happen to my family. Mm. But, you know, God is so amazing too. When I look back over the years at all the things that we've been through, I mean, it's been tough. There's been a lot of tough days and a lot of hard days, but God has been so amazing through it all as well. It's like every time I've been knocked down, immediately God steps in and shows me I'm still right here with you. You do such a great job, Sonia, throughout the book, just um, demonstrating, you know, God's faithfulness, even at that moment where you literally collapsed on your way to the bathroom after hearing the news and, and feeling, you know, the, the, the warmth, the hug of, of your friends and your colleagues at work that the Lord had placed there 
to surround you with love and, and to escort you uh, to the hospital. Adam was, was your six-year-old. Yes. And, and he was killed instantly. Yes. As was your husband, Chris. Um, so we live in a rural, rural town. And so of course our hospital wasn't equipped. We don't have like a children's hospital. Right. And so we, um, it's funny because we're actually right, right smack dab in the middle of Oklahoma city is two hours from us, which is our big, big city with the children's hospital. And then Dallas, Texas is two hours from us with the big children's hospital. But I always say that God knew what he was doing because Dallas Children's Hospital is way more Equipped. advanced yeah. than our, our children's hospital in Oklahoma. So God knew what he was doing when he sent us to Dallas that day. Right. And it was only because Oklahoma City was full. Okay. So. And you had, to, um, you had to provide consent before they could even airlift Connor yes. uh, from, from the accident. So yes. take us to that. So you've, you've received the news. Uh, which n- no mother wants to to ever hear, no no wife ever wants to hear. The Lord is is surrounding you with such a compassionate group of friends. You weren't alone. You actually were surrounded by uh, men and women that you love dearly, and you were able to connect with with your immediate family who had already been notified. If it's if I read correctly, majority yes. of them yes. had, and so yes. you closed your eyes because you had to literally go back to the scene of the accident or past the scene of the accident? Actually, I was very blessed because there's another way to get to Ardmore, which is a town that they were in. And so luckily the lady driving me knew we're going to go this other route instead of going through the route of the accident. Now my mom and stepdad actually had to go through the accident to get to the hospital. And my mom said she just closed her eyes and couldn't even look because I mean, the truck was still there. Everything was still there. But so luckily I didn't have to, because I just don't think I could have handled that. You know, it was really tough because in my heart, I knew as a mother for whichever one of my babies was alive, since I didn't know at the moment that I needed to somehow pull my grief together and get up off that floor and get to him because I knew he needed help. But then you know, the grief was so overbearing as well that it was so hard to even pull myself up off the floor to get to the hospital. So it just, it was, it was really tough trying to make all that work. I mean, it was almost unbearable. I mean, you know, you hear that sometimes, oh, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. And that statement, sometimes I think, oh, that's not exactly true. I'm right there with you. I'm yes. right there. He, you can't, you, he can give you more than you can handle because you have to rely on him. Yes. I mean, we can't do it on our own. And I I make sure people understand that, that that day, it was only by God's grace that I was able to literally get off the floor and get to my other son. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be with my son. It's just the grief was so overwhelming. It just, it almost paralyzed me. And so I'll never forget getting to the hospital because it was about a 20 minute drive to get there. And all I could do the whole way was just pray for which one of my babies was alive because I knew at that moment I needed him to survive because I didn't know how I was going to survive if I lost everybody. And I'll never forget getting to the hospital and I saw my dad and they wouldn't even let them back. And they just had to wait on me to get there. And I remember walking up 
<clears throat> to him and asking him which one of my babies was alive. And when he told me Connor, everything just hit me all over again, like a ton of bricks. Cause I just thought this is real. You know, I just, I'll never be able to hug Adam again. I'll never feel his sweet little arms wrap around my neck. I'll never hear him tell, tell me he loves me again. And it was tough because I couldn't even grieve Chris and Adam both at the same time. It was too overbearing. It's like, I would have to grieve one and then I would go to the next one. And then I, then I'd have to literally just put them aside because I knew I've got to be a mama for Connor and I've got to figure out how to be strong for him as well. It just so many emotions and so much heartache that it was, it was really hard to wrap it all around everything. But, you know, some of that too, I think was God's way of protecting me because I couldn't grieve them. Like I really needed to grieve them probably yeah. because I had to be a mom to this child that was really having all these complex medical needs. So I had to kind of push it aside and step up and be mama for a while. And you do but such a great job chronicling um, the crises that Connor was to continually face. I mean, he, he literally, it was, it was life and death for months. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, back then we didn't have social media. And so, you know, now social media, media is so great at getting prayer warriors just praying. I mean, you can have millions of people praying within hours yeah. on social media. So, Back then, it was literally making phone calls to like Caleb, the Christian radio station, and getting them to get prayer warriors going. And they do a great uh, job with they do, they really do. And then, of course, getting a hold of just friends. And of course, my sister had a lot of connections from her college friends, and one of them was Henry Blackaby. Yeah. And so, you know, they were a great prayer warrior for us as well, getting people praying for us all over the world. There was people in Canada and. I mean, it was just amazing without social media, how far you could even get your story going back then, but yeah. just a little bit tougher, but, and that was what we had to have. Cause that's one thing I said that night, the accident was when the doctors came in and told me Connor wouldn't survive through the night. I just looked at everybody in the waiting room and I was like, I need everybody, you know, praying for Connor to survive. Yes. We're going to prove them wrong. Yeah. And we did. And he was, he was in the hospital. Can you tell our audience the journey that you, that you went through with Connor? It's one thing to lose your, to lose, well, I, I say lose because we, we know Chris had a relationship with the Lord Jesus yeah. Christ, uh, as yeah. did Adam. And the, the way that you chronicle the night before and the morning of, um, you know, this accident was such an encouragement to my heart, um, because I do think it's a reminder to all of us that are listening and, and watching and, and me even talking to you right now, uh, the intentionality that we need to have with our words in the moments, uh, not knowing that we're gonna have the next one, you know, and looking at every uh, opportunity as a, as a gift from the Lord. And you were so faithful as a mom. I know you were tired, you were working, you were making a huge job transition within the next 14 days. Your husband was starting a new job. You had a lot of fleshly excuses to kind of be intense and frazzled, and you had a lot to look forward to, but at the same time, you took time to go into the boys' rooms, and, and you, your, your conversation with Adam was just 
absolutely anointed, you know, talking about heaven and about Jesus. And, you know, I'm going to start crying why I don't keep a thing of Kleenex <laughs> beside me. Every interview that I do on a weekly basis, you'd think that I'd learn by now. But uh, and, and in your relationship with Chris, you know, you just valued marriage um, so highly and y'all valued each other. And it's just such an important wake up call to all of us to not take anything for granted. So that was just one of the many takeaways in your book that just spoke so much, you know, to my mama's heart and to my heart as a wife, because I think so often we can be very, I don't know, just more probably less patient with those that we love the most. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm so thankful that you can look back on those minutes with no regrets, aren't you? Yes, I, I truly am. And, and I honestly believe that was another God thing. I can really seriously look back over my life from the second me and Chris started dating. And I can see how God orchestrated every step of our path for what was about to happen. And I truly believe that, you know, I, I'll never forget my coworkers telling me after the accident happened about how they, they just loved seeing me and Chris together and our relationship with each other and how they could just tell how in love we were. And I was like, I truly believe that was a gift from God because he knew we were only going to have this short time together. And so it, not that it was perfect. No, no marriage is perfect, no, but, but I mean, he just made it beautiful. Yeah. in such a short time. It's like, he just, he prepared every step of the way. Yeah. And, and he does. And I love this quote that I found as I was researching you and, and the subject of suffering that is, is never pleasant, but is such a, a big part of all of our lives. But Charles Spurgeon said this, there is no university for a Christian like that of sorrow and trial. And the blessing that, that you had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you had that foundation, that unshakable foundation going into this Job-like moment for yes. your life is, is, again, out of the book, such an important testimony for all of our listeners to make sure that that relationship with Jesus has been, has been cemented um, because yes. there are going to be situations, there are going to be more pandemics down the road and, and more painful crises with children and, and husbands and, and loved ones that, um, that won't make sense without that relationship with him. Yes, that is exactly correct. And I'm so thankful that our parents raised us up in a Christian home mm -hmm. because I don't know how someone can go through a tragedy without God right there beside them. I truly don't. I just... I know that I couldn't have and having that Christian family and friends for my support as well through it all. Yeah. That makes a really big difference. You're grieving the loss of your husband. You're grieving the loss of your firstborn child, Adam. You are dealing with a very chronically uh, ill and challenged little boy, Connor. So all of these are just coming at you so amazingly fast but you're honest about the fact, and as close as y'all were to your church family, um, you were mourning too the the loss of being a part of that that marriage Sunday school, that young married Sunday school class. That you know, it's almost like where do I fit in anywhere anymore? You know, you go from from being a wife to being a widow in a split second, 
And so you're just so honest in dealing with, with all of these feelings that my, my, my friends that are, have gone through similar situations, you know, you, you, you force us to deal with the realities that are going around that, you know, when our friends are sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all, because there is nothing in that particular moment. You know, I think the, the friends to you that made the, had the biggest impact were probably those nurses that were just hugging you you know, in that bathroom or riding along beside you in the car, not really saying anything, but lifting you up in prayer in their hearts. And, you know, I'm so thankful too, that my friends didn't leave me because like you said, and I do talk about that in the book, how not even just our couple Sunday school class, but even my friends seeing them with their families and we all had kids the same age and seeing them getting to be with their spouse I mean, it was tough. There were so many times that I wanted to walk away, but they knew that I needed them and they needed me too. And they never walked away from me and they were always just right there with me, no matter what. And that meant that they had to not bring their kids around for a couple of weeks and just come and just love and pray over me. That's what they did. Mm -hmm. And God placed the most amazing friends in my life. I mean, like I said, he had my whole life orchestrated for what was fixing to happen. And, you know, I never even thought about it. I, it's like you said, before this happened to me, I mean, I saw people going through things and I never in my life thought about, oh my gosh, that must be hard for them to go back to their couple Sunday school class or be around their friends, you know, with their families. You just don't think about stuff like that, which is, which I mean, you wouldn't because you haven't been through something like that, but it's just amazing. The last three quarters of your book are a challenge and inspiration to all of us and how you have been such and are such an incredible mom to Connor. Can you please tell us a little bit of that journey and what's been born out of that? Yes. Well, and of course, I guess I should say he does have a spinal cord injury. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, of course it's in the book, but, um, you know, the doctors were very doom and gloom with me um, and really pushed me hard to let him go, which they never supported my decision. The ICU doctors, let me rephrase that because our specialists were amazing once they came on board and they're still our specialists today. But, you know, the ICU physicians were just very, very pushy about letting him go, tell me he was going to have no quality of life. And in my heart, I knew God didn't save him from that wreck for me to let him go. And I was going to choose life for Connor. And I knew God could take Connor over a ventilator any day. It wasn't a survivable wreck. And we had all been praying for a miracle and Connor survived the first 24 hours. So I was going to push forward with his life no matter what. And like I said, it's not easy him being a quadriplegic and on a ventilator, but Connor is so, God has given him such a sweet spirit. That boy, I mean, he can't, unfortunately, he can't really communicate um, verbally. And that's because he was injured at such a young age. And so he was only saying maybe five words at the most around that time. So it's How old was he? I know Adam was six and Connor was. He was 19 months old. 19 months, yeah. So just a baby still. And so if he would have had his vocabulary built up, he could have compensated for breathe, you know, for talking over the ventilator because you have to time your air correctly because the ventilator is pushing air in. So you have to time everything correctly. It's really hard. And so 
anyway, so he can't communicate that way, but he communicates in other ways to us. Like for instance, we homeschool him and we use flashcards and that's how he answers questions or he'll blink twice for yes and blink once for no. And so he communicates to us, just not the way we communicate. Right. That God has given him such a sweet spirit. That kid is, excuse me, that kid is always smiling always happy. If he's not, you know, he's sick and something's wrong. And I thank God for that every day, because I think if I saw him being depressed and not happy, that that would really have made me depressed too. And so I'm thankful for that. But the one thing with him, so I had decided from the get-go, I was going to give him the best quality of life that I could give him no matter what. And I wasn't going to let a wheelchair define who he was. Yes. And, you know, cause I'm like, he's just this little baby when I brought him home and I'm like, I want him to be a kid and it's going to be different. And I'm going to have to figure out how to make that happen with, with the chair. But that little boy, we just load him up. We take him everywhere. And I think too, you know, when I was a little girl, I was that stubborn little girl who would sit at the table and not eat my vegetables for hours. It it felt like hours. It probably is like 10 minutes, you know, (laughs) my mom wouldn't let me up. And I tell her all the time, Hey, that strong-willed little girl paid off now. And so I think too, when the doctors told me, no, it wasn't going to happen. I was going to make sure it was going to happen somehow. Cause you know, they had basically told me I was going to have to take him home, leave him in a dark room that he would die of pneumonia within the first year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the list went on and on and on of all the things that they had told me was going to happen. And I was like, you're wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. And, you know, we just load him up. We travel. He loves the beach. We go to the beach a lot. You know, I just try to make life as fun as I can for him. And now we do a lot of therapy also. Yeah. We do about three to four hours a day of therapy on him. And, um, but he works hard at that. I mean, I sit there and think, gosh, I get on the treadmill and I go a mile and I'm like, I'm done. This is too much. And he's got a leg bike that he rides and it's hooked up to electrical stimulation. So it makes his muscles fire and do the work. And that little boy will go nine miles on that thing. And then after he's done, we move on to something else and start working. You know, I'm like, he's just got such a strong will and determination himself as well. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the Lord had you as a transcriptionist in that physical therapist office. And now all of a sudden, all of those things you used to write down, you're really putting into practice as as a mom with a child that that is challenged, but is is here not not by chance, but by God's sovereign design and sovereign will and your mom, because you are the sister of one of my favorite people on earth. I love Katrina Doro and, you know, I'm a huge, huge uh, champion for her faith and family box, but your parents must've just been so much fun uh, because y'all do every moment you celebrate. And I, I love that. I mean, the joy of the journey of life is just evident in the way that y'all celebrate each moment. And that's evident in your book too, Sonia, but also in the picture section of your book, the way you have completely transformed Connor's wheelchair. Uh, the Death Star one was just like how that didn't win like uh, a spot on some YouTube video. I mean, it, it was truly your creativity and, and you just, you know, you don't bemoan um, the, the situation, any situation you're in, you embrace it 
and use it for the glory of God. Tell us about Adam's cape, because I, I love the title. Again, uh, that goes to, uh, I think it was the first chapter of the book when Adam is still here with us. And you're talking about how much he loves superheroes, especially Spider-Man, but then would go on to, to other superheroes. But tell us a little bit about how the Lord has brought such beauty from these ashes. So, you know, we, we started learning quickly that medical was expensive, anything medical. Yeah. And of course, we also knew that we needed to get Connor somewhere that specialized in spinal cord injuries. And of course, we can't actually my sister. Katrina started doing research and she came across a place in Baltimore, Maryland called Kennedy Kreger Institute. And they are part of Johns Hopkins. Yeah. And so the doctor who started this rehab facility for spinal cord injuries there was also Christopher Reeves' doctor. So he had done a ton of research on spinal cord injuries. And so we knew we needed to get there, but insurance wasn't going to cover it. And so we started to do fundraisers. Well, our local community is amazing at embracing anybody that has any kind of issue like that going on. Yeah. And so fundraisers just started going up like crazy. People, we were doing them, other people were doing them. And so over the years, we had to keep on doing them because insurance doesn't pay for any kind of therapy equipment at home. I mean, everything's just so expensive. Well, we decided it was time. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> All right. We decided it was time to start paying that forward because, yeah. you know, my heart, I'm seeing all these other families around our community or even other states because I came across people in Baltimore, Maryland, and I, my heart is started going out to these other families because I'm thinking God's blessing us tremendously by continuing to get us to Baltimore. And that's how I pray all the time. God, if it's not meant for us to go to Baltimore anymore, then you you will stop the way, but if it's meant to be, the way will still be provided. And so, but my heart just started going out to these other families that didn't have the means that we had to do the fundraisers and things like that. Yeah. And so we wanted to start paying it forward. And I just kind of sat down with my family and I'm like, look, this is something really dear to my heart. And I really think we need to do something. And so everyone was on board of let's start a nonprofit. Let's, let's start helping other kids. And so that's how Adam's Cape came about. And of course, it's named after Adam yeah. and the cape is for the superheroes. But what's funny is Chris was a huge Superman fan. Also, he even took he even took his senior pictures in his Superman shirt. Oh. And he just he was a Superman guru. That's adorable. <laughs> and it's funny because um, I used to make fun of him because I'm Captain America. And I was like, oh, Superman's not cool. Captain America is. But I think, you know, how amazing that he really has his true, his son truly is a little Superman. And he didn't get, I, he didn't get to see that on earth. But yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, so the cape kind of also represents Chris. Yeah. And that way they're part of it. And yeah. then we're getting to leave a legacy with them. Well, we are going to put uh, links so everybody will will learn of that nonprofit and how they might be able to contribute and okay. and uh, and even get that in in their local areas. Is it just exclusively for Oklahoma, or is it? It's we set it up where we could help all across the United States oh. because we've um, come across so many families in Baltimore while we're 
they're getting spinal cord therapy and I just think there's so many needs. So I didn't want to keep it to just our local area because my dream for that is one day it will be huge and, you know, we'll never have to turn a child down because, you know, we're able to help everybody. In closing, I I do want to ask your hero of the faith from God's word. Yes. So I actually have two and it's, it's probably not, not the ones that everyone would think, but you know, there's two people in the Bible that have just really stood out to me over the years. One is a lady that bled for 12 years that reached out to touch, you know, Jesus garment. And it was her faith because through all this, there's been so many times that I've literally only had the faith of a mustard seed. Now I'm going to try not to cry now. Because we've have faced some really big mountains with Connor and there's been times that I haven't thought that he was going to make it. And, you know, having faith in those times is really tough. And, you know, it's, there's been times that I've been like her where it's like, Oh God, you know, I just want to reach out and touch your son's garment. I just, I want Connor completely healed. I want to do that for him. And then my other heroes are the friends that took their paralyzed friend and literally had to make a hole in the roof of the house and lower him down because they couldn't get through the people. And I, that's my favorite one because of my friends, because there's been times that it's been my friend's faith that has kept me moving to keep going forward whenever there was times that I thought Connor wasn't going to make it. And so, you know, I know Job and all that, we can relate to that, but those two, those two stories are so meaningful and so powerful to me because of their faith, because I've had to have a lot of faith over the last almost 15 years. And you don't realize that when your life is just going smoothly, like before the wreck, I mean, I didn't know what it was like to have to truly have real faith like that. Yeah. And And you've done such a great job just putting that faith into practice. And that's even the subtitle of your book, uh, Faith over fear and audience you have listened today and you've been privy to to watch and observe a true modern day shiro of the faith sonia hunter it's a blessing to now call you my friend thank you for being obedient uh, with the calling of the lord so evidently upon your life Uh, we do pray for for your family and and for Connor as he continues to be the ambassador for for Christ that that he is. And I just cannot thank you enough for sharing your time and your testimony with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it very much.